with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's show, we'll talk about China's foreign trade rose 5.8 percent in the first four months. So, what does it mean about China's economy? And we will also take a look at China's trade with Belt and Road Initiative countries. And now, let's begin with our top story. China's imports and exports reached 1.9 trillion U.S. dollars in the first four months of this year, up 5.8 percent annually. Exports rose 10.6 percent year-on-year, further easing market concerns over the export outlook of the world's second-largest economy. And imports also rose slightly. In the first four months of the year, China's trade with ASEAN countries, its largest trading partner, rose nearly 14 percent. So, for more on this and China's economic recovery, join us on the line now are Dr. Wang Dan, chief economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Ina Tengen. Senior fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, Aina, first of all, China's foreign trade showed strong resilience in the first four months of this year. The total trade volume jumped 5.8 percent. So, how do you explain this figure, and what are the main driving forces for China's exports this year? Well, I mean, there's been a spending spree. Obviously,、uh, people you know cooped up after a while, and but also catch up. I mean, if you start looking at、um, auto exports and things like that, vehicle exports, you'll see that there were a lot of buses and vans in there. It wasn't just EVs and things like this that were out there. But you know, p- people need to understand there are two narratives going on. If you look at the four, first four months, you'll see that China has been very resilient and is overperforming. Uh, against a background of great uncertainty, you know the U.S. has debts.、Uh, there's、uh, they're pushing up the interest rates. It's depressing economies and things like that. So it's doing well. But you know it, it's always funny to me to read the、uh, other other news sources, and they're always talking about you know how great a month、uh, it was in March, and、uh, April is not as great as、uh, as March. You know you have to look at these、uh, trends long term, and right now.、Um, You know, it, it, as a lot of、uh, predictions are are saying,、uh, China's on course, barring a lot of unknowns, to be to hit around six percent. But we'll have to see how the global economy does because it's definitely shifting in a negative in a negative、uh, direction.、Mm. And then, so how do you look at China's,、uh, you know, exports, the driving forces for it? Uh, China's export in the first four months definitely outperformed the market expectation. If we look at the export destinations, there is a clear shift.、Um, previously, the biggest、uh, destination was America and Europe, but now it's、uh, ASEAN countries and Russia. Especially since February this year, Russia has contributed to a larger and larger share of China's export and import. Um, and in April, in particular, because in April there's an interesting shift. The share of ASEAN,、uh, the share of export to ASEAN countries also declined because their ultimate buyer was also、uh, is also Europe and America, and their new orders have been declining. And in contrast, the export to Russia,、uh, including mechanic equipment,、uh, daily necessities, and all kinds of intermediate、uh, industrial goods, have been surging by a greater deal. 
So we can see this greater momentum of China trade with the Belt and Road countries, especially its neighboring Belt and Road countries.、Mm. So Anna, so ASEAN countries remain China's、uh, largest trading partner, with bilateral trade jumping fourteen percent, and China's trade with the BRI countries was also up nearly sixteen percent. As Dan mentioned, we are seeing that China's exports to countries like the U.S. and Japan have dropped, but exports to ASEAN countries have increased. So, how do you look at this situation? This is a shifting pattern, right? So, will this change continue? Well, it will. I mean, you you see a very sharp divergence economically between the developed、uh, North and、um, you know you can include、uh, South Korea and Japan and that and the global South and the、um, Central Asia. China has really increased its、uh, support there. Now, its trade is about being willing. Uh, if you don't want trade, you can erect trade barriers and you know put up all sorts of obstacles. But you know, trade is like water; it goes where it is is welcome. And、uh, right now, China is being welcomed by South America, Middle East, Africa, ASEAN,、um, and Central Asia. So that's where the growth is going to continue. Mm, and then, so while China's overall trade has shown steady growth so far this year, its trade with the U.S. slid 4.2 percent among Washington's decoupling push. So, how do you see that? And how can Chinese foreign trade-oriented enterprises cope with the headlines, including the Federal Reserve interest rate hikes and the, some geopolitical factors? Uh, although the direct exports from China to the U.S. has been on this downward trend, on the、uh, the ultimate good still depends on China's supply chain.、Uh, we have seen this interesting shift of、uh, Chinese production, and、uh, there is a change in the structure of its goods. And a lot of the intermediate goods were exported to、uh, other emerging markets, including the ASEAN countries first. And they produce the final goods and then export to the European and American market in order to avoid the punitive tariffs. And there is also this stronger trend of diversifying more of the supply chain away from China. But that doesn't mean the demand for Chinese goods are declining. In fact, there is a stronger integration between China and its neighboring countries, and also with Latin America. To a certain extent, it will facilitate China's push to go automation and to climb up the、uh, the supply chain. I don't think the decoupling actually affects the bilateral trade between China and the rest of the world. By that much.、Mm. So, Ina, there are some efforts by the U.S. to shift the supply chain away from China by nearshoring or frontshoring. So, what's going on there, and what's the effect? How will it impact China's position as the world manufacturing center? You know, what you have here is a very interesting difference. China is pushing out, is exactly as Dan said.、Uh, China is saying, "Okay, we're going to push out、um, these."、Uh, Uh, industries that are no longer viable、uh, in China. You know, we talked about the Canton Fair and the fact that the people who were selling Christmas tree ornaments were really having a tough time because of competition、uh, with other places with cheaper labor. Whereas the high-end stuff was doing very, very, very well. The U.S. is doing the exact opposite. You know, as we saw, you know, it, they're saying, "Oh, come and you know, make your chip factories in the United States." The problem there is that it's going to cost thirty for thirty percent more for a chip made in America than anywhere else. And ultimately, the market does have the final say. Efficiency is going to determine not only who makes profit, but which countries are able to maintain their wealth. 
Because if you're paying consistently more and more because of your own actions, you're actually just giving away wealth. Your competitors will move in and they'll take over your markets Mm -hmm. and you'll end up with nothing. So Mm. right now, people are scratching their head trying to wonder, where is the U.S. going to go? How can it be competitive in the world where it's everything is more expensive versus China, who is creating more regional uh, efforts and trade zones, which are actually going to benefit it because it's still producing a lot of the intermediate goods that are going into these final products. Mm. So then talking about chips, some Chinese chip makers have reported significantly higher revenue and profits so far this year as they fill the voids left by the American suppliers with the Washington's tax restrictions on China. So how do you look at this? And China is actually increasing its investment in the chip industry, right? Uh, There has been a huge push from central and local governments in terms of supporting the innovation capacity in the chip industry. And we have seen this bigger momentum of using domestic production to replace imported chip. Because for most of the products in the economy, uh, with few exceptions, like the cell phone, like the highest end of cell phone, China actually is able to produce its own chips uh, for most of the models. The difference is that probably in terms of mass production, uh, there is still a big gap to be filled. And for the most advanced chip, uh, there is a lot more to be done, including uh, the problem that there's a shortage in the relevant talent. But for Chinese companies, um, we can see this step-up effort. There's also a bigger collaboration between universities, research institutions, and companies. So when I look at some academic uh, research on China's productivity growth, actually, it has shown tremendous increase in the electronic industry. And that has shown the effort has been effective for the chip making in China. Mm. And then if you break down the numbers of the trade sector, we are seeing that the exports of the electric vehicles, lithium batteries and solar cells have increased over 70%. So what does this tell us and will this trend continue? Um, The fastest growing segment in China's export has been new energy related. And the biggest market for China now is Europe. Uh, America has been trying to push away China's exports of uh, the solar panels and new energy vehicles, and that's why their products in those areas have been so expensive. And for Chinese manufacturers, they have been investing very heavily uh, in Europe and other Asian countries in terms of building up uh, the battery capacity and also to build more brands, more varieties of NEVs. Um, It has become a major strength But we have also need to bear in mind that there is a vulnerability uh, in this kind of strength. Since Mm -hmm. China is essentially building up its monopolistic power in this industry. So over time, uh, more of the foreign companies in Europe, for example, might feel threatened. Um, They might try to lobby the government to raise the standards in environment or labor protection. And there would also be more competition from their local companies. So for Chinese companies, they just have to step up their innovation investment in order to face the competition. 
Mm. Well, we talk about the foreign trade, but I know we also have the Caixin Services PMI number for April, which came in at fifty six point four. It's a bit softer compared to March, but it is still a level that shows robust expansion of the service activities. So, what's your take on the strength of China's service sector recovery in the first four months of this year? Well, it, it's all tied into uh, internal consumption, and that's really going to be the bellwether uh, as we go forward in terms of internally how China is able to encourage it. Now, this last、uh, May Day Golden Week was showing a tremendous amount of of forward progress. I mean, everything was filled,、uh, especially domestically, internationally. Things were a little bit soft in terms of travel and tourism. But domestically, it was very strong, and this is exactly what、uh, China needs.、Uh, if those numbers come in,、uh, you know, next week,、uh, next month, when we start looking at this again, if those numbers are strong, it's going to really herald、uh, a very good comeback for China. Once again, this、uh, dual circulation strategy, where they try to make the internal. Um, economy strong through consumption, which then attracts investment, and that's going to be a very, very powerful、uh, thing as we go forward. Because you know, with the difficulties of deciding, the uncertainties,、uh, the division in the U.S.,、uh, softness in Europe, people are going to be looking: where do I put my money? And as China grows, it's kind of an upward spiral.、Uh, people say, "Well, I have more confidence in the the markets there, and I'm going to continue investing." So, China's strategy right now looks very good. Uh, but as I said, a lot of it depends on this internal consumption.、Mm. And then, so we now have the、uh, official and private service of、uh, China's manufacturing and service sector for April. So the factory activity dipped into contraction territory in April due to the softer demand, but service activity remained quite strong. So looking at this bigger picture, should we be Overly concerned about the strength of China's、uh, overall economic recovery, given the softer demand we see in April manufacturing PMI numbers.、Um, there are things that we need to watch out when it comes to the industrial performance,、um, because several indicators do show this rising problem of, of overcapacity, and that's closely tied to the weaker demand from overseas market as well as domestic market. The utilization rate of industrial capacity in China has reached the lowest point since twenty sixteen, and the ratio of the sold、uh, of the of the sold products over the total production in the industrial sector is at its lowest point since nineteen ninety nine, and that means the inventory in China's industries have been building up. Um, whether this can be resolved in the short term needs to be carefully considered, since we do see this recessionary pressure in the U.S. and in China. Although the momentum in the services sector and consumption has been good, we do see the latest figure for CPI, which is only 0.1 percent. So, Ina. So, what do you think? China's consumer price index or CPI rose 0.1 percent in April. So, how do you look at that? Should we be concerned about that? Yeah, I think there is. There should be concern, and a lot of them have been enunciated by、uh, Dan. But you know, remember, this is not isolated to China. This is in China versus the rest of the world. You're having underutilized capacity in many places.、Uh, U.S. has this little bump because they're reshoring, but. As I said, long term doesn't seem like it's going to be very competitive.、Um, in China, there's always these periods where you go through、uh, highs and lows. 
at this juncture, you're going to see some um, companies going out of business um, just because they, they, you know, they can't make it, but that makes everything more efficient. The other side of that, though, is that no one is investing any money when you have this kind of situation. So all of the uh, infrastructure and manufacturing capacity that's in place is not going to, you know, be subject to competition from other countries or internally. So that um, puts uh, China in a very good position in terms of cost competitiveness to get what business is available. Uh, you know, we've always talked about how the, the world economy is not looking good. We're probably looking at a recession, if not worse. Um, China will do better than most, but it will still be affected by the, uh, you know, the overall trends because, you know, obviously uh, exports are a big issue. Imports are, you know, very important. China, uh, and that was one of the figures that kind of interested me is that imports were down. So I, I can expect next month that they're going to be good on the consumption internally. The question is, does that continue? And so then, so Goldman Sachs issued a statement on the Chinese economy at the end of the May Day holiday. It says that the easy part of China's post-pandemic recovery, which includes the full recovery of mobility and the release of the pent-up demand in selected sectors such as tourism, is done. So this is the easy part. So what are the more challenging parts when it comes to the revival of the economy? Um, the biggest challenge is probably still the housing market. Um, two weeks ago, the biggest news in the housing market was that China has uh, completed its uh, national real estate registration system. And to many market participants, this means a property tax has a good foundation to be rolled out now. Although we do not believe that this year we will see the rolling out of property tax, given the downward pressure of the economy, but it doesn't mean in the future it wouldn't come out. And for housing as a long-term asset, people will feel more hesitant to buy homes this year. They might want to wait it out to see how the new policy can affect the housing prices. And that means the housing transaction in the coming months probably will be a little bit weaker. Well, we're speaking with Wang Dan, Chief Economist of Hansen Bank China, and also Ina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at China's trade with the Belt and Road Initiative countries. Stay with us. DDAC, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. You are listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. The China Central Asia Summit to be held later this month is expected to further bridge the political ties between China and Central Asian countries. Experts say high-level exchanges will lay the groundwork for the closer trade connections under the Belt and Road Initiative. In the first four months of this year, China's trade with Belt and Road Initiative countries surged by 16% year-on-year. For more on this, I earlier spoke with Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. 
So, Dr. Zhou, thank you for saving us some time. In the first four months of this year, China's trade with BRI countries surged 16% on a yearly basis. So, how would you explain this trend, and what's the driving forces of this momentum? Yes, we can find that the Belt and Road regions are really important trade partners of China, especially in the first four months. I think the reasons maybe lie into the following levels. The first one is that uh, you know the Belt and Road regions they are recovering very quick because they want to do more about the industrialization and urbanization. So they depend on the supply and the global supply chains and the pressure. So they are trying to import more things from China. And the second is that China is also recovering. We are able to provide many different kind of things in the like the machineries or electronic machineries to. Support their recovery, and、uh, the third reason is about the regions are trying to connect with each other by the integration. There will be more demand from the market. Mm. And China's Belt and Road Initiative has far-reaching implications for China, Asia, and the whole world. As we know, the initiative not only aims to improve connectivity but also to address challenges. For example, during the COVID-19 pandemic, China has provided medical equipments and billions of、uh, vaccine doses to other countries, especially developing ones. So, how does this reflect China's development views? Yes, the virus is unexpected. So every country, everybody, do not have、uh, many preparation for that. In this regard, China has a country.、Uh, we have some abilities to deal with the situation, and、uh, you know our Chinese、uh, medicines or、uh, vacation,、uh, vacations, vaccinations are really important to stop the spread of the virus. And we know that you know so many countries, especially the developing countries, they are not able. To deal with that, and it really impacts the society, not only the economy. The people cannot go to work, and the supply chain will stop, and many things will be very dangerous. So, in this regard, I think China is trying to provide what we can do to help others, and I, I think that it is also help us because you know we have many close economic relationships with these countries. If we can. Struggle together to fight against the, the COVID. I think that、uh, it will be much better than we can deal with that by only ourselves.、Mm. And some Western countries have accused China of settling developing countries with debt by financing the building of big-scale infrastructure projects. For example, China is the largest source of、uh, budget support and financial aid for Sri Lanka. And some believe that China's investment in Sri Lanka lacks.、Uh, Transparency and so-called would bring more liabilities to the country. Is that true? And what's your take on this? The problem is that no other developed countries want to give loan to those countries, including Sri Lanka. So I think that the people of Sri Lanka also deserve some recovery, some improvement of the infrastructure. And China is the country who want to help them. So it's a, a problem not only to trying to see. Whether or not it's about about a problem of yes or no, so we are able to provide them with support, and I don't think that it's a kind of a burden. Actually, we should look at this situation according to the development, and、uh, you know when the infrastructure is better, the economy will be better, and it will, it is much possible for the countries to be involved in the global supply chain and help the recovery of the economy. 
Mm. And according to data, the developing countries' debt payment mainly flows to Western creditors. The World Bank estimates that、uh, in the next seven years, only 14% of developing countries' total debt payments will go to the Chinese government and commercial institutions. So, what does this number tell us? I think the percentage is not a very important indicator for us to understand the situation because all the loans have a different structure of the debt. Like some grace period is longer and some is shorter. But I do believe that most of the Chinese help, especially from the financial areas, are long term, and this will help not only a short term, you know, impact of、uh, these countries, but also to provide a better and long term of、uh, recovery. So that is very important, and for many creditors of、uh, the developed countries, they put many political conditions for the countries who want to borrow the money, and it is sometimes unacceptable by them.、Mm. And as the U.S. dollar enters its rate hike cycle, debtor countries are likely to face growing pressure on repayment. Right. So how badly will the poor countries suffer from the heavy burden of a strong dollar? Yeah, it's a really big challenge. And if we look back, we can find that many crises happened during that time when U.S. is trying to increase its interest rate. So when the countries want to pay back their debt, they have to,、uh, like in the in this condition, they have to pay the U.S. dollars. But they how can they do that? They have to earn more U.S. dollars by export by、uh, borrowing more debt. I, I think both of these、uh, ideas are not ideal for the. Countries who are not able to sell many of the high-value products to other countries and who are suffered by the lack of enough ability to borrow more money. And currently, unemployment issue is quite common, and high unemployment rate is a pressing issue in South Africa. Chinese tech giant Huawei promised that half of its workers in South Africa were citizens of the country, and the company also planned to invest in training the unskilled and unemployed youth in the country. And this is one example of Chinese enterprises shouldering more responsibility in local development. So tell us about your observations on that. Yes, people are the key factor for the development. So the people are able to get get more skills, and it will be much easier for them to get better position of employment. Actually, China has helped a lot of countries to improve their conditions of the skills of the people, not only in the manufacturing but also in agriculture and services. This is a very important time for us to. Update our skills not only in China but also in many other countries because the, the technology is increasing so quickly. So any countries who want to、uh, to do more to to be、uh, to catch up with the digital economy, they have to provide as enough technology to the people and improve their skills and conscious about the attitudes to learn more. So in this regard, China is not only trying to put our own ideas on others. We are going to listen to. What's the requirement of the countries who get the you know support, and what they want us to help those people to improve their skills? And that was Zhou Mi, senior research fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.